want to welcome Miss Jean up. So you should lean on if you can. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, 
but he being Jesus, was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement, that's the punishment, the judgment, the condemnation, the full wrath of God, everything that we deserve, he took. The chastisement to make peace. I want you to connect that, because that's what it would take. The chastisement to make our peace, give us our peace, was put upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. 700 years later, approximately, they announced that the Savior had been born. And out in the fields, the shepherds who were guarding their sheep were met by an angel. And the angel said this, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For this day in the city of David, there has been born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That was an astounding announcement. There had never been such a thing since Adam and Eve sinned. And so it seems as though one angel was not going to do this. There had to be a multitude of the heavenly hosts giving God praise and glory and basically saying something new is going to come. Something that has never been for a very, very long time. And um, you know where you've heard of the term extreme sports? You've heard of that? Yeah. Well, I'm talking to you about extreme reconciliation. I'm talking to you about extreme peace. I'm talking about that which is absolutely authentic. Never would they have dreamed that God was going to do something that would enable God to actually come and live inside man and actually have us live inside God. That is extreme reconciliation. Would you agree with that? And not only that, but God had in mind that he was going to take the Jews and the Gentiles and make them one. And we would all be one body in Jesus Christ. That is extreme reconciliation. And so, if you belong to God, you need to know this. Isaiah called it a covenant of peace. Ezekiel called it a covenant of peace. Isaiah said, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you, personally, you drink that in, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor will my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on me. So, all of us who are in Christ, God, our Father, is called the God of peace. Jesus, our Savior and our elder brother, is called the Prince of Peace. The Holy Spirit, who has come to live within you, is producing the fruit of peace in your life. Paul tells us, I mean, Jesus sent us out to preach the gospel. And Paul tells us that that gospel, which means good news, is called the gospel of peace. We need to make sure we're preaching the right gospel. Amen? It's called the gospel of peace. We were birthed into a whole new kingdom. The kingdom of God is also within us. And the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And don't ever forget, it is His righteousness, His peace, and His joy that was gifted to every single one of us the moment we were born again. 
And that is why Paul could write from a dark prison cell. He was sitting in a dark prison cell. But he was also seated with Christ in the heavenly places, right? And that's why he could write to us this encouraging word tonight. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Do not fret. Do not have any anxiety about anything. But in every circumstance and in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your requests known to God. And the peace of God. I just want to stop here a moment. I want you to really understand what we're talking about. We're not talking about a worldly peace. Your inheritance is the peace of God. Drink it in, folks. Your inheritance is not anxiety. It's not. Your inheritance is not fear. It's not all that stuff. Your inheritance is the very peace of God himself. Peace of God that passes all understanding. You can't, you can't understand the kind of peace I'm talking to you about. It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. Shall mount guard over your heart and over your mind. God's peace is intended to mount guard over your heart and over your mind. And the Amplified Bible and we'll take it a little further in a moment. Now, first of all, God really, really wants you to understand. And more than that, believe. Put your faith in His Word. Don't try to drum up faith in your own faith. Put it where it belongs. Put your faith in God's Word and start by choice, believing what God has said. I think I probably told you that under this new covenant, we do not enjoy our inheritance because we're strong enough, good enough, or smart enough. Listen carefully. We enjoy our inheritance because we are simply humble enough to believe God. That's how you're going to start enjoying what actually belongs to you tonight. So believe what God has said. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. You have it. You have it. And so what God wants us to know is this. That we can find peace in the midst of any storm. We can find his peace in the midst of trials. Eugene, how do you do that? I think you have to take a deep breath. You know, when the winds are blowing and the fire is all around you, you just have to stop a minute. You just have to take a breath. And you have to say, Jesus, you are. He is. He is. And we just have to focus on Him. Get your eyes off the storm. Get your eyes off the circumstances. Whisper that name. Jesus, you are here now. And you practice His presence. You continue to remind yourself of what is true about you. He's in you. Now, he's here. 
And what I want to focus on tonight is that God's peace can be mine and God's peace can be yours. Even when we have broken relationships. Even in the midst of broken relationships. And this is where I want to kind of connect with what the team was saying to us for the last couple of weeks. I've heard Nick say so often, I want to move at the pace of peace. That is such a wise decision. You and I need to move at the pace of peace. And you know what? God's wisdom will always bring peace to your heart. When he speaks to you, his voice is peace. It's not all those other voices you might have heard in your past that sound so angry. That's not God. It's not God. His voice will bring peace and speak peace to you. And so let that peace guard your mind and in your heart. And so the scripture I'm emphasizing tonight is um, Romans 12, 18, which says, if possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Let's listen to that one again. If possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And so I have to understand that there are certain things that absolutely depend solely upon me. And I'm going to speak on two of those tonight. But there are other things that are completely out of my control. I cannot force anyone to reconcile with me. Neither can you. I cannot force anyone to forgive me when they don't want to forgive me. I cannot convince anyone that I have changed when they don't want to believe that I have changed and they're not even willing to look and see if I have changed. I cannot prove that my motive was good if they are convinced that I am lying. I cannot change anyone else's and you can't do And we need to settle down in that. I cannot change anyone else's heart. That's God's job. That's his business. But I can allow him to change my heart. And so God wants you to know that if you are sitting here tonight and you have relationships, not only in your family, but maybe at work, maybe with your friends, maybe whatever else that have not yet been resolved. God wants you to know that you can find peace even in the midst of those broken relationships because listen carefully, your peace, your peace does not depend on other people's choices. Your peace does not depend on other people's decisions. Aren't you glad about that? I'm so glad about that. And I just want to give you one example from my own life. I have one sister, there's only the two of us, and my sister has not spoken to me for five years. And the reason she hasn't spoken to me is because I voted Republican. Now, Dana and I, we, She's always been a liberal. I've always been more conservative. She is not a believer. But that never bothered us, you know. That was fine. But I received an email from her after that election, and she told me that she no longer wanted to have any communication with me, that I am not who she thought I was, and my values were not what they should be. And she proceeded to go through this. I was so I was stunned. I just never in a million years thought anything like that would happen, but it did. 
And I sat on that probably for three weeks, you know, just processing it and praying through it. What do I do, God? What, how do I respond to this? And finally, I felt like I had the heart of the Lord and what to email back, which I did. And of course, it did no good. And I actually tried two or three entirely different angles, trying to reconcile, but nothing worked. And so I, I realized her heart was shut. There's nothing that I could do. And my whole being, I would have flown anywhere in the world to meet her. I would have done anything to help her. Listen, I want you to hear this. I see clearly where she is. She's in prison. I would do anything to help her get out of prison. But her heart is absolutely shut at the moment. I checked again about a month ago. It had been like five years, and I'm thinking, well, maybe now, because we do email periodically. And I checked to see if I could call her, and I received the email back, no. And all of the reasons, same reasons why I could not. And so I have done everything that I know to do. I've done everything that I feel God has put in my heart to do. And I'm telling you, I have had peace for five years. As I wait, watch, and pray, looking for any crack in the armor. Because the moment I see that, I will try again. Do you understand? Do you understand? Some things are completely um, dependent upon you. But some things are not. And God does not want you to feel like you have somehow failed or not done enough. And the enemy would come and condemn you and beat you up. That's not, that's not true. Your peace does not depend on someone else's choices and decisions. And you can find peace in your own heart with God. Move on in your life. Keep doing what God wants you to do. Wait, watch, and pray. Does that make sense? All right. So as I studied the life of Jesus, I was absolutely fascinated of the peace that he walked in. Have you really looked at him that way? If not, I hope you will. I was fascinated and, and I was equally fascinated that those who opposed him had no peace whatsoever. As I considered him, and then I considered them, this opposition group, no matter who they were, oh boy, I could have a lot of words that I could put to them, but I just, the one that just keeps coming up most of all is frustration. These people were so frustrated. They tried every way they could to catch it, right? In their snares. They were angry with him. They were envious of him. They hated him. And he just walked in this peace that passes understanding. And that drove them crazy. Jesus was driving these people nuts. It, they could not figure him out. And, and I was so fascinated with that, God. And I, oh, I just kept looking and I kept saying, Holy Spirit, what is it, you know? How did he walk that way through everything he walked through? And there's other ingredients, but the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. I'm going to give you two things that I want to concentrate on. Number one, he said Jesus walked forgiving. 
Jesus walked, comma, forgiving, period. And the second thing was, Jesus walked, trusting and entrusting everything to the Father as he walked. And we'll see that tonight. So I decided I want to learn how to do that. I want to learn how to walk as you walk, Jesus. And so that's what I want to share a little bit tonight. I want to share with you my journey and the benefits that I learned from this. The first thing, Jesus walked um, forgiving. And he had set his mind, he had set his heart, he had set his spirit. He had, uh, the scripture says he's, um, he set his face like a flint. And I'm going to come to that in a moment. But there's a scripture that says, my heart is fixed, oh God, my heart is fixed. His heart was fixed. I will walk forgiving every person, person by person, every circumstance, circumstance by circumstance, as I meet them. Unforgiveness for him was not on the table. It was not an option. And um, in Isaiah 50, verse 7, it says, Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know I will be, not be put to shame. So he set his face, and where was he going? And Luke tells us, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Like a flint. Nothing, nothing was going to stop him. Nothing was going to turn him around. Unswerving determination is what that meant. And so what was in Jerusalem? Well, one lie after another. One offense after another. One injustice after another. Betrayal, desertion, torture. His final destination was Golgotha. And as they nailed him to the tree, his, the first words out of his mouth were, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Oh yes, Jesus walked forgiving. He walked forgiving. Who is the them? Forgive them. Who is the them? The them is the whosoever God, whosoever wishes to come, let him come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so I said, Lord, I want to learn that. Teach me how to walk forgiven. And the first thing that I learned, that walking forgiving is not for the super spiritual. I'm talking to you about the normal Christian life. This is the normal life, folks. This is what it is to live in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is not for some spiritual giants. This is for me. This is for you. This is normal Christian living. The second thing I learned, and they really go together, is under this new covenant, every single thing that God asks of us, he has already given to us. He has already provided it for us. 
You are indeed equipped to walk forgiving. This is the new covenant. His grace is sufficient for you. And his strength is made perfect in our weakness. What is grace? We've all been taught grace is God's undeserved, unmerited favor, right? And it is. But isn't it amazing how we tend to justify holding on to our resentments or holding on to our grudges because in our own heart we're saying, but they don't deserve it. Well, duh. That's what the whole thing is about. Of course they don't deserve it any more than you deserve, than I deserve God for giving me a lifetime. A lifetime of sin. Undeserved. Grace is undeserved favor. Do you see that? When you give the gift of forgiveness to someone, you are giving them what they do not deserve. That's grace. Grace is not, a forgiveness is not a rule to be followed. It is a miracle to be experienced. Where God's grace will lift you up. His Holy Spirit will lift you up above the earth. And he himself will give you the grace to forgive. And he will take you to a place called peace. And a place called freedom. Does that sound good? Oh, it's very good. Very beneficial for all of us. I also discovered that by fixing my heart and taking unforgiveness off the table, I also discovered that I was much more able and much more quickly able to process through an offense when it came. Because my heart was already set. And I didn't have to waste time on the internal battle inside of my own self. I knew the choice. And so I could much more quickly work through everything I needed to work through. It stopped a lot of the chatter. The internal chatter and the external chatter. Because I no longer had to go to ten people and tell them how I had been unjustly treated. I saved a lot of time by taking that off the table. And you can too, right? The next thing I discovered is it's not really wise. I would not encourage you to have difficult conversations with people until you have first worked this through with God. Until you have peace in your own spirit. If your own spirit is churning and frustrated and upset and anxious, I would not suggest you go. You're not ready. You need to work things through with God. And you need to come to that place where you forgive them. Remember, Jesus never waited for anybody to ask him to forgive them. Don't ever wait for anybody to come to you and ask you to forgive them. They may never come. That's not the issue. The issue is not whether they do right. The issue is whether you will do right. And so once you have worked through it in your own heart with God, or with someone that you really trust, when you go to them and when you talk to them, and it doesn't go as you hoped, it didn't go as well as you planned, it's going to be okay because you've already forgiven them. Do you understand? You've already forgiven them. And therefore, you're going to be able to have a conversation that will be so much more graceful, peaceful, and encouraging. So I would truly uh, encourage you to do that.
Over the years, the fifth thing I've learned is that as I chose to walk forgiven, my spiritual eyesight got so much better. My spiritual discernment got so much better. Anybody like that to increase, right? In Luke 11, verse 34, God's word says, Your eye is like a lamp. It provides light for the body. When your eye is clear and healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. But when it's unhealthy, your body will be filled with darkness. And so I discovered that as I was not entertaining for any length of time this stuff that I had entertained before, that was being removed, and I could see in the spirit so much better. I began to see people from God's perspective. I began to see the circumstances as God could see them. And I also discovered that once my focus had been on Him, not the storm, not the offense, but on him. Grace could do its job. I began to notice that I was changing effortlessly. I was not trying to become more patient. I was simply becoming more patient. Do you understand? I wasn't trying. I was looking. And I cannot overestimate the power of 2 Corinthians verse 17 and 18. Listen carefully. As we behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being changed. We are into that same image from one degree of glory to another. And this is by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was saying, Jean, you behold, you gaze, I will transform. And I began to see that promise actually happening in my life. I began to notice I was not nearly as critical or judgmental of people that I had once been. And I began to discover that in the place of that, there was a new compassion for people and an intense desire to help them. That's grace, people. That is the grace of God that works in your life and in my life. Um, I want to tell you a true story. I want to tell you about a young man that I met. He was in his 20s, probably the age of a lot of you around here. And I met this young man, um, and he told me his story. He told me that when he was around 14, 15 years old, he had a cousin, a female cousin, um, who had a little girl. She was four years old. And her boyfriend had gotten furious with her over something. And he had shot and killed her. And then he shot the little four-year-old girl. And this young man was hiding in the shower, hiding in the bathtub, because he was afraid to come out. Now between that time and when I met him, he had become a Christian. But this young man was so full of hatred. He was so full of bitterness, he could not, he could not get past this thing. And he would laugh, um, a bitter laugh, quite often. And the thing that he was rejoicing in was that this man, this murderer, would spend eternity in hell. That is what gave him pleasure. 
And so, as I began to talk to him and lead him through a prayer for um, restoration and peace, um, we worked through a lot. And so when it came time for him to forgive, to make a choice whether he would, we talked about it, and he decided he would. Now, forgiveness is not condoning what happened. It's not excusing what happened. It's not denying what happened, nor is it pretending it didn't matter. It did matter a lot. It sent Christ to the cross. It mattered a lot to God. And so he decided that he would pray. And, and when he got through with that prayer of forgiveness, the thing that struck me, the thing I have never forgotten, is when he got through praying that prayer, he looked up at me. Two things I noticed. First, his eyes were different, very different. Have you know, you've heard the term, the eyes are the window to the soul. You look in somebody's eyes and you can see so much, right? Even a dog's eyes. Have you seen what their eyes look like when they're guilty? <laughs> it's really cute. But, but it is a window to the soul. <laughs> and so I first thing I noticed was his eyes. But the second thing that struck me, I have never forgotten this. I want you to listen to what he said. He looked up at me. And he said, I cannot imagine what must have happened to that man. What must have been done to that man to make him a murderer and to make him someone that would shoot a four-year-old child? I want to ask you, do you see the first glimpses of compassion? Do you see it? All he wanted was for that man to spend eternity in hell. And suddenly he forgave. And the first thought he had, what must have happened to that man? Forgiveness is powerful, people. It is so powerful. And, and in fact, you and I never know how far the ripples go out, do we? We never know when a husband and a wife forgive one another, how far will those ripples go out? Do you see that? Forgiveness is so powerful. And it takes you from being a victim to the one in control. This is your decision. To forgive puts you back in the place of power with God. So forth. And so the final thing that I really want to leave you with is the second point and only one point to this. Not only did Jesus walk forgiving, but he walked continually trusting and entrusting everything, himself included into the Father's hands. And that comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. And um, Peter is talking about being punished for doing right. <coughs> Unjust suffering. And he says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to the kind and gentle, but also to the overbearing. For what credit is it if, if you endure suffering while suffering just unjustly? For one is sorry, for one is approved if he endures pain for suffering unjustly. What credit is it when you do wrong and you are punished for it if you take it patiently? But if when you do right, you take it patiently, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 
He committed no sin. No guile was ever found on his lips. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continually trusted himself and everything to him who judges justly. That is a powerful, powerful principle that will keep you in peace. When things do not go well, the things that you can't fix, the problems you can't solve, the hearts you can't change, the deeds you can't undo, the past you can't go back and redo, give everything to God. Just turn it all over to Him. Because I promise you, one day He is going to make everything right. One day, everything, He will make it right. Rest in that. Trust in that. That's what Jesus did. He entrusted continually Himself and everything to him who judges justly. Isaiah, can you come here just for a moment? I want to show you this for just a second. I'm going to give you this in a minute. I said the first, I told you the first words out of Jesus' mouth. And now I want to tell you the last. I want to tell you the final action he took before he breathed his last breath. The seventh was saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He bowed his head and he gave up his life. How beautiful. Can you hold this a second? And so what I want you to capture is this. Picture these two nail-scarred hands. Jesus. Father, forgive them. We walk to forgive They know not what they do. And this hand, the seventh, the final, into your hands. I could be my spirit. He gave everything, all his life's work, everything, the totality of his being. He committed it to the Father's care. And he gave up his spirit. My brothers and sisters, we can take these two we can put his whole life, it's like these parentheses, his whole life is between these two hands. The amazing thing is, God will teach us to live like that too. And there you will find peace that passes all understanding. forgiving. One after another. And we just kept moving. 
everything. So Lord, we love you. You are the most magnificent, beautiful, loving, kind, gracious, good person, this precious trinity and the universe. We look at your life and we marvel. So much so we forget you were 100% man. That's the miracle of the gospel to me. 100% man. You were tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. And God, we see you walk in this amazing, the power of peace. The power of peace is extraordinary. And so God, for any that are here tonight that would say what I said a number of years ago to you, teach me. Teach me how to walk forgiving. Show me and help me to deal quickly with you and process with you any offense, any wound, anything. Because God, my inheritance is peace. And I'm going to claim it. I'm going to take it. Oh, you, you paid a high price for it. And so I want to experience it. And I thank you, Lord. Um, God, I also pray, teach me how to continually give over things to you. Let them go. Trust you in your loving, perfect wisdom and righteousness. You will solve the issues perfectly. One day, it will all be right. And so help me to trust that and just keep living forward. Loving you and loving my neighbor as myself. God, I thank you for hearing us tonight. And I ask you to break the anxiety and the frustration from all of our lives, Lord, as we enjoy your peace as our inheritance. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.